This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. We are on the last day of this week covering ID. It looks like there's going to be another week of ID. It's big. Yeah. It's a big section. Which, you know, they're some of the big, big hitters. Cards, respiratory, ID, neuro. They're just going to, they just need a few more weeks. They That's just right. need more time. That's right. Um, all right. You are covering the hepatitis disease. Well, you did have this. Is... Um, I I will quickly run through the other hepatitides. Okay. Uh, I don't I know. I by the way, I was making to. fun. I was f- making fun of you saying that, but I don't even know if that's a word. But I think we'll, it's a I'll word. take it. Hepatitides. Hep- it's not hepatitises. Listen, at this point of the day, <laughs> I will accept whatever you want okay. to accept. But I'm just saying, Bye. I wouldn't have the level of certainty that you're displaying. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Okay, I'll finish the hepatitis. You do parvo. There's so. Okay. Don't don't bring quick people into the back of the behind the scenes. <laughs> We're live here. Hep D, okay? A defective RNA virus that utilizes Hep B surface antigen for its surface coat and necessitates co-infection with hepatitis B virus. Um, it's transmitted via blood, sexual contact, rare to have perinatal transmission. I'll do Hep A and E. Hep A is a single-stranded RNA virus spread by the fecal-oral route. It's highly contagious, but perinatal transmission is rare. Clinical um, majority is asymptomatic, very low mortality, thankfully no increased risk of congenital malformations. Uh, shows a mild hepatitis with jaundice, mild abdominal pain, fever and malaise. Some experts in it suggest that intramuscular immune globulins be given to an infant soon after birth if maternal hepatitis A infections began between two weeks before and one week after delivery, though the effectiveness of this approach is unknown. And we prevent the um, hep A in areas of high transmission. Uh, the hep A vaccine is available if greater than one year of age. Hepatitis E, very rare in the U.S. It's an RNA virus transmitted by the fecal-oral route. Clinical findings include jaundice, fever, abdominal pain, and arthralgia. If maternal infection during pregnancy, there's a high maternal mortality, up to 25% in the third trimester, with an increased risk for stillbirth and preterm delivery. Now, let's get to hepatitis C. Hepatitis C is a single-stranded RNA virus. It has a 30 to 60-day incubation period. It's transmitted from infected blood, contaminated needle sticks, and it's actually rare to transmit via sexual intercourse. There is a 5% transmission from mother to infant if the woman is positive for hepatitis B virus RNA at the time of delivery. However, 
if there is maternal co-infection, hepatitis B plus HIV, that transmission from mother to infant is up to 20%. There's a high concentration of hepatitis C virus RNA. The neonatal effects of the hepatitis uh, C are unknown. The majority of infected adults and children are actually asymptomatic, though they have persistent infection in 80% and then can develop cirrhosis and liver failure with an increased risk of hepatocellular cancer. The management of supportive um, children who are older than the neonatal period, age 3 to 17 years, can be treated with pegylated interferon alpha and ribavirin, but there are no trials in neonates. So what is the management of a neonate born to a mother with hepatitis C infection? The neonate does need to be tested due to a 5 to 6% transmission rate. And so the recommendations most recently are to check the hepatitis C virus IgG antibody at greater than or equal to 18 months of age. And the reason we delay this testing is that there can still be some passively acquired maternal antibodies until 18 months of age. And if earlier diagnosis is needed, you can send a nucleic acid amplification test to measure the actual hepatitis C virus RNA at one to two months of age. Okay. Okay. Enterovirus, right? Oh, boy. Is that right? Right? Right, boss? You were going to do parvovirus, but you could do enterovirus. Didn't we say we were doing torch next week? You, Parvo want, feels you a... would like to consider parvo under the mm -hmm. torch. Okay. Yeah. Fine. I'll allow it. <laughs> we have HIV next week. We have a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, but enterovirus. Enterovirus is, uh, is a virus, single-stranded RNA, um, and, an and it's, a, it's a big category, right? That includes echoviruses, Coxsackie, polio, and uh, many others. Um, typically, um, the incidence of enteroviruses is greatest in the summer and the fall. It is transmitted via the fecal-oral, oral-oral route uh, in swimming pools or through contaminated hands. Um, the enterovirus can be transmitted transplacentally, usually during the third trimester, through um, the vaginal the, the the vaginal canal. So uh, the infections during pregnancy, polio obviously um, leads to a great increase in the risk of abortion, greatest if it's uh, taking place during the first trimester and increased severity of maternal illness. Live attenuated vaccine are not associated with an increased risk of, of abortion, but vaccine should still be avoided during the pregnancy. That's crazy, right? How bad? Live vaccines, not to be messed with. Um, mm -hmm. Infection with enteroviruses during pregnancy really do not, uh, are not shown to be uh, having an increased risk of a congenital malformation. There's a slight increase with the risk of preterm delivery. When it comes to um, Coxsackie and echoviruses, there's no increased risk of abortion. Coxsackie possibly increases the risk of congenital anomalies, um, and there's only a slight increased risk as well for preterm delivery. Now, in terms of neonatal infection, um, 
the neural infection actually shows greater severity uh, compared to older age groups. The greatest risk is if you're dealing with a baby that has a low birth weight, um, uh, is, has antibiotic therapy, needed intubation, or is requiring nasogastric feeds. Uh, when it comes to polio specifically, um, majority of cases are very severe with 50% mortality and half of the survivors showing uh, signs of paralysis. When it comes to echoviruses, um, there are different types, but the type that we should know about is type 11, which leads to a sepsis-like illness and hepatic necrosis, coagulopathy, coagulopathy that is often fatal. The rest of the enteroviruses tend to lead to like mild to severe illness that include symptoms of like sepsis, apnea, fever, vomiting, diarrhea, decreased oral intake, some maculopapular rash. Um, it can include hepatitis, myocarditis, especially when we're talking about Coxsackie viruses, meningitis, encephalitis, coagulopathy, pneumonitis. So a little bit of everything and anything. Uh, the diagnosis is made through a reverse transcriptase PCR and culture from the stool, rectum, nasopharynx, conjunctiva, tracheal aspirate, blood urine tissue, and CSF. The treatment is supportive. Um, IVIG can be uh, considered if life-threatening disease, but there's not great evidence for this efficacy. Uh, pliconeril, pliconeril sure, act is, a, is uh, active against enterovirus, but not currently available. And in terms of infection control, standard precaution and contact precautions for neonates is what is recommended. All right. Can I do, um, can we do, oh, yeah, your finger's up. What's up? No, you want me to oh. do rotavirus? You want sure. To... Yeah, yeah okay. go ahead. Fun. Um, okay. Uh, rotavirus is one of our double-stranded RNAs. It is the greatest cause of acute viral gastroenteritis in infants and children. It's localized to the intestine, so it does not cross the breast milk. This is a question that we get asked from parents um, all the time, who the, they themselves are suffering from rotavirus infections from older siblings. It's greatest during the winter months in temperate climates, uh, so we see it a lot <laughs> uh, Intestinal lactase may be a receptor for rotavirus. And this is really interesting because there are lower um, uh, numbers of intestinal lactase in the preterm infant. So this is a possible explanation for the lower incidence in preterm infants since their lactase activity is lower. And it's possible that breast milk antibodies may prevent or decrease symptoms early in life. It's transmitted through the fecal oral route, though it can occur through delivery, but likely because of exposure to maternal stool. And the isolate does not protect the infant from acquiring the infection. Hand washing is critical to prevent transmission. The clinical symptoms um, are those that we would experience with gastroenteritis, can be associated with poor feeding, irritability, watery stools, and dehydration. It can be diagnosed through the enzyme immunoassay and latex agglutination assays to detect the group A rotavirus antigen in stool. You can also do a detection of the virus in stool by um, reverse transcriptase PCR or culture. And again, the management, like so many of the viruses, is supportive. Hydration and the monitoring the electrolytes 
Um, an oral human immunoglobulin is an investigational medication that can be used in immunocompromised patients with prolonged infection. It is felt to decrease the duration of diarrhea and the amount of viral shedding. There are uh, rotavirus vaccines. Um, there are, they're both live and so um, rarely given in the NICU. Um, there's a three-dose series and a two-dose series. Um, and they are accompanied by a small risk of vaccine association intussusception. Is a hard word today. One case per 30,000 to 100,000 vaccinated infants. And the timing is mostly during the first week after the first or second dose. So that's very helpful in anticipatory guidance. Um, and like I said, vaccination not recommended for hospitalized infants because of possible shedding in the soup. Muted again. Okay, do we have time for maybe one more? Can I do influenza? influenza? Yeah. So influenza is like a virus, you know, that gives you cold-like symptoms. You heard of it? <laughs> yeah, once or twice. <laughs> um, We're getting silly at the end of this week. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many. And then <laughs> you have this depression of like, let's, okay, let's just say, right? There's so many viruses and so many bugs. You're like, man, I'm not always considering all these things, right? And they all present yeah, as the same way. <laughs> like, it's not like they're showing presentations. You're like, well, I've never seen that before. Like, all these presentations are like stuff we see every day. And you're like, I haven't thought of enteroviruses. Like, and like, well, and it makes you wonder about all of those bacterial uh -huh. culture negative sepsis uh, incidences that you treated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's why I get silly because I'm like, oh boy, this is like, we're just swimming in mud at this point. Um, so we know we have um, several types. We have influenza type A, type B, or C, which is a milder form of the disease. Influenza A viruses are uh, subclassified based on their surface antigen. So we have hemagglutin HA and neuraminidase NA. And there are minor variations in these antigens known as antigenic, antigenic drift that leads to these seasonal epidemics in influenza A, which is why we get the vaccines every year. Um, and so, so you know that. In terms of clinical presentation, pregnant individuals will have greater severity of illness during pregnancy. The symptoms include fever, chills, headaches, lethargy, myalgia, cough, sore throat, and nasal congestions. In terms of infants, the symptoms are similar to the ones of sepsis and can be associated with apnea, bronchiolitis, bronchiolitis, or pneumonia. The severity of illness based on the virus is based on the virus type and subtype during specific season. If just in case you guys forgot H1N1 in 2009, H3N2, uh, with uh, greater illness severity. Now, the diagnosis is made via viral culture, reverse transcriptase PCR, rapid influenza molecular assay, and uh, or rapid antigen detection tests. So how do we manage influenza? So for maternal infection, we should consider temporarily separating ill mothers with suspected or confirmed influenza post-delivery. The length of the separation is really to be determined by the multidisciplinary team on a case-by-case -case basis. 
uh, there are guidelines from 2009 that had recommended recommended separation until all these conditions were attained, and these included maternal antiviral treatment for more than 48 hours, a mother that reaches a state where she's afebrile without needing antipyretics for 24 hours, and a controllable cough and minimal respiratory secretion. If separation is not logistically possible, and I feel like <laughs> this is probably most cases, you should try to keep the newborn uh, six feet or more away from the male mother, place a physical barrier between the mother and the newborn, maybe like a curtain, and confirm a healthy adult can care for the newborn. Um, um, and then, obviously, influenza vaccination for all susceptible unvaccinated caregivers, which, by the way, are all sort of features of viral uh, mm -hmm. containment that we are all familiar with since COVID, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, They're going to be a section in the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm getting a bunch of COVID questions on my uh, maintenance of certification MRC, exams. Yeah. 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 Um, I think what's interesting about this and the reason I wanted to go over this is specifically because uh, influenza has been relegated to the sidelines in terms of COVID and all these things. Mm -hmm. and, and these are pretty serious recommendations. And, and I think questions could be quite tricky if we, if we don't know this. In terms of antiviral medication, Ozeltamivir, Tamiflu, as it's also known, is approved for children uh, two weeks or older uh, and can be used for term and preterm newborns after birth as safety profile acceptable. Um, obviously, I think other, other agents include Zenamivir, which uh, is uh, inhaled and, and for children that are above the age of seven years. We have amentadine, which is for children above the age of one, rementadine for uh, ages above 13 hours and high resistance rate. The greatest benefit is if the disease is treated within 48 hours of initial symptoms. I, I doubt that um, all these are going to be tested, but those are Tamivir, Tamiflu is probably the one that could come up. In terms of infection control, standard uh, and droplet precautions uh, are recommended, and you should continue droplet precaution for seven days after the onset of illness or 24 hours after fever slash respiratory symptoms resolve, whichever is longer. Those standard and droplet precautions are for ill mothers or symptomatic newborns. An asymptomatic neonate um, does not warrant anything, just standard precaution. Prevention obviously involves vaccination, and it includes both influenza A and B virus antigens. It's annually uh, administered to everyone above the age of six months and could be administered to all preterm infants at six months chronological age. And remember that it is a two-dose regimen the first year you're getting vaccinated. So when it's when it's your um when you are uh getting vaccinated for influenza first time in your life you get two doses that first year and obviously all care providers of preterm infants should receive the annual influenza vaccine which we are getting in our hospital every year so mm -hmm. yeah all right buddy. um i'm gonna squeeze in zika <laughs> okay you didn't want to squeeze it in i do what you're in charge I'm just <laughs> I think we're we're gonna have to squeeze it in. Okay, ready? Here we go. <laughs> Zika is a flavi virus, a flavi uh -huh. virus, a very flavorful virus, Zika. Okay, it's transmitted by the mosquito most commonly, though there have been reports of sexual transmission and in utero transmission, most commonly during the late first or early second trimester. It is most common in the Central and South Americas, but we have seen it in Florida as well. 
The evaluation, so the indication for evaluation is a neonate born to a mother with positive Zika virus laboratory testing during pregnancy or a neonate with abnormal clinical or brain imaging consistent with Zika syndrome and some sort of maternal travel history to those locations. So um, the clinical manifestations that would have you concerned for Zika are on a wide spectrum, but in general, um, the CNS is very much affected. There's an abnormal neurologic exam with microcephaly. The microcephaly may not be present at birth. There may be overlapping of cranial sutures, prominent occipital bone. They were really, the pictures and the imagery was really describing kind of like a cranial collapse almost. Um, arthrogryposis, club foot, hypertonia, hypotonia, spasticity, hyperreflexia, irritability, and seizures. The brain imaging may show partial collapse of cranial bones, intracranial calcifications, ventricular megaly, uh, gyral abnormalities, decreased brain volumes, cortical malformations, cerebral hypoplasia, delayed myelination, and a thin corpus callosum. You may see chorioretinal atrophy, optic nerve hypoplasia, retinopathy, microphthalmia, coloboma, intraocular calcifications, um, and other things uh, that show up are um, the lack of, of other findings that we see in other viruses. So it tends to lack hematologic, hepatic, and renal abnormalities, which we can frequently see in other viral infections. In adults, but not necessarily in the neonate, um, it can be accompanied by a ma maculopapular rash, fever, joint pain, um, and general malaise. Um, I was going to ask you a, a question. Let's do it. Are you ready? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, infectious diseases, question 81. I'm going to give you a hint. This is one of our mnemonics. You're caring for an infant with heterotaxy esplenia. As a precaution, you initiate antibiotic prophylaxis to prevent infection by encapsulated organisms. Which of the following is not an encapsulated organism? Is it A, Haemophilus influenza, B, Neisseria meningitides, C, uh, Pseudomonas, I could never say it, aeruginosa, D, Salmonella typhi, or E, Streptococcus pneumonia? I was a bit scared because when you said mnemonics, I was like, which mnemonics did we cover this week? I didn't remember one, we but didn't. I remember. It's it's the shin. It's the shins, uh, right? So right. it's, uh, yeah, so it's um, um, the haemophilus, the nasseria. Um, and then even if you don't remember what the S was which for. S? in this, yeah. Yeah. There are two S's. Yeah, here there's two S's because there's salmonella and strep. Um, I'm pretty sure it's strep. Oh boy, am I am I stepping? I'm pretty sure. In any case, in that case, then the non-capsulated would be pseudomonas. That's right. That's right. So shins, we said that we you would put a capsule like a shin guard for playing soccer. So certain right. bacteria covered in a polysaccharide capsule, which helps them evade cell-mediated immune response. And the capsulated bacteria include the following: Salmonella S. Haemophilus influenza, H-I, Neisseria meningitides, N, and uh, which did I say first? Salmonella. <laughs> Last, Streptococcus pneumonia. So both Salmonella and Strep pneumo um, are in Shin's uh, encapsulated bacteria. Okie dokie.
All right, buddy. Um, not sure when I'm going to release those, but anyway, otherwise, see you Sunday for interview, and we have lots of content uh, for next week. So see you then. Thank you. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.